All right. Good morning. I invite you to turn with me to John chapter 16. John 16. I remembered the outline this week. I also have the outline from last week. I forgot to pass it out. If you would like a copy, I'll leave it up here. And after class, you can, uh, you can come grab, grab one. So John, John 16. And uh, last week, we, we learned about the fourth uh, promise of the paraclete, the, the Holy Spirit that Christ promises to his disciples. And last week really focused in on the ministry of the paraclete in convicting the world. So we learned that it's better that Christ depart, leave, and be glorified as the victorious Messiah because that's an essential event that must take place in order for the promised age of the new covenant, in order for the outpouring of the Spirit to come to pass. And when the Spirit comes, among other things, he will convict the world such that many might be brought to faith in Christ, uh, brought out of the world to eternal life. And so that was last week. But that isn't the only place we have learned about the Holy Spirit in John. Throughout the Upper Room Discourse, Christ has been giving us a robust pneumatology. So pneumatology, a fancy word meaning the theology or the doctrine of the Holy Spirit. It's not only unfortunate, but it's harmful to the church that this doctrine is so widely abused. It's either perverted by bad teaching or it's neglected altogether, the teaching on the Holy Spirit. We're either tempted to misuse this doctrine or we're tempted to downplay its significance because we don't want to sound like people on the other side. And so we don't touch the Holy Spirit at all. But I just want to highlight here that this is what Jesus belabors in the upper room just hours before he departs from his disciples. If you were Jesus, what would you teach? What would you be emphasizing? Apparently, Jesus believed that a right understanding of the person and ministry of the Holy Spirit is vital to the health and the life and the perseverance of the church. And so far, we've learned a number of things about the Holy Spirit. We've learned that the Spirit has been given to indwell disciples, to make them into the temple of God, a way that's greater than and replaces the temple of the Old Testament. We've learned that the temple will be the way Christ abides in believers, filling them with his life. And we've learned that the Spirit will be at work in this age to work through the witness of suffering disciples as he convicts the world. But this morning, we're going to be looking at chapter 16, verses 12 through 15. And here we receive Christ's final promise of the paraclete. We're going to get two comforting ministries the Spirit performs for Christ's disciples. So this is the final identity of the Spirit which Jesus teaches his disciples about in the upper room. And... As we will see, this is the climactic identity. So let's begin. The first 
ministry is found in verses 12 through 13, which is the truth declaring ministry of the Holy Spirit. The truth declaring ministry of the Holy Spirit. And Jesus begins by explaining the disciples' present need and inability. Look at verse 12. He says, I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. Jesus has been spending these last hours of his life on earth with his disciples to prepare them for what is about to take place at the cross and how they are to live after he returns to the Father. And so rather than seeking to comfort himself in this time, right before the hour of his greatest suffering, he spends his time focusing on comforting his disciples. Although he is troubled by his hour, he's most concerned that his disciples would not be troubled, but that they would be prepared for what's going to happen and then life after he returns to the Father. That's how much he loves his disciples. That's how much he loves you. He makes sure to provide you with everything you need, and that's what he is doing here in the upper room. He's providing his disciples, including you and me, with the teaching that we need to live out our lives in this world. That's what he did back in verses 1 to 4. Remember that? Jesus taught his disciples, which he did not teach them throughout his ministry. What was it? It was the persecutions that are coming to them in this age when the kingdom's inaugurated. It's still going to mean massive persecution for his disciples. He did not teach them that through his ministry, but now they need to know it because they're going to be exposed to the world's hate. He's preparing them. But here Jesus tells us that there is still much that the disciples need to know. Look at verse 12 again. I still have many things, much to say to you. We're going to explain what is that much that he wants to tell them. We're going to explain that in verse 13. But this verse here tells us, that now in the upper room, before the cross and the resurrection, the disciples are not able to bear it. Look at the rest of the verse. But you cannot bear them now. Jesus' teaching continues to produce sorrow, confusion, anxiety, bewilderment in the hearts of his disciples. They need this teaching, but they're unable to bear it. Something must happen first before they can bear it and understand it and rejoice in it. Well, what is that? Well, before the disciples will be able to bear Christ's teaching, they must first understand Christ's cross and resurrection rightly. The, the event of his cross, resurrection, glorification, that, that event, rightly understood, must be the lens through which disciples interpret all of Christ's teaching. It's the only way it will make sense. Only after Christ's cross will they understand it. Will they be able to bear the rest of his teaching? But they can't bear it now. They're only confused and they only have sorrow. But after Christ's cross, they will understand the cross rightly and that will be the lens through which they can understand all of his teaching rightly. And in order to enable them to do that, to rightly understand his cross and resurrection, to understand all of his teaching through his cross, in order to enable them to bear the teaching, he's going to give them the gift of the Holy Spirit. And that's going to be the role and work of the Spirit. Look at verse 13. 
when the Spirit of truth comes. Or literally, when that one comes. You can see it if you have a NASB or a King James. When he comes, or literally, when that one comes, the, the Spirit of truth. Jesus uses the, the pronoun he, or literally that one. He's used it in each of the paraclete passages to refer to the paraclete, the one who's going to come take Christ's place, the Holy Spirit. And this is the fifth and final time that he points to the coming of the paraclete. When the paraclete comes, everything will change for Christ's disciples. Look at the title Jesus gives to him. He calls him the Spirit of Truth. It's the third time Jesus uses this title. It's one of the primary identities of the Spirit. He's going to come in service to the truth, the Spirit of truth. He has come primarily to serve and magnify the truth. But how will he do that? And what is this truth? Well, Jesus tells us in the rest of verse 13, look what he says. Everything's going to change when the paraclete comes the spirit of truth, and he will guide you into all truth. For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will declare to you the things that are to come. The paraclete, when he comes following Christ's glorification, he will enable disciples to bear, to understand, and to be completely supplied with all of Christ's teaching that they and we so desperately need. So that's what Jesus is, is promising in our passage. And I want to flesh this out a little bit more for us because there's so much packed into this promise here. And Jesus gives us three things that will characterize the Spirit's ministry. This is verse 13. The paraclete's all-sufficient truth-communicating work. And the first thing he tells us is the Spirit's ministry is centered on Christ. Look what he says in verse 13. It says, he will guide you in all truth. Because he's the Spirit of truth, he's going to guide you in all truth. He's going to guide you, apostles, in all truth. Remember Christ, who he's talking to. He's not talking to you. You were not in the upper room. He's talking to his apostles, the 11. He's addressing them. This verse is building on what we read back in chapter 14, verse 26, and chapter 15, verse 26, which promised the gift of the Spirit to the apostles to enable them to understand and be authorized witnesses to Christ. John 14, 26, But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, He will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance. There it is. Your remembrance. All that I've said to you. That's why it applies to the apostles. They they heard Christ in his ministry. 1526, the helper when he comes, whom I send to you from the Father, the spirit of truth, who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me. And you also will bear witness because you've been with me from the beginning. He's talking to the apostles. And now the the Spirit has certainly been given to each of us, right? This doesn't mean that you do not receive the gift of of the paraclete, but in order to get the application correct in relation to us, 
we must first get the application correct as it first applied to the apostles. And something that will help us understand the significance of what Christ is promising here and how it applies to the apostles and then to us is by understanding what he means by all truth. He will guide you in all truth. All truth means the the fullness, the complete disclosure of truth. And according to Jesus in the upper room, what is truth? Give you a hint, John 14, 6. Jesus said, I am the way and the truth. Christ is the truth. Christ is the fullest expression of the truth. He is the fullest disclosure of all of God's purposes and plans. Christ is God's fullest and final revelation of himself. He is the climax of the revelation of God. As the word made flesh, Christ makes known the very being and character of the invisible God to a degree never before experienced. Through his person and work, Christ discloses the totality of God's eternal purposes and plans of redemption. Christ is the climax of revelation. And that means that the ministry of the Holy Spirit, when he comes, will not be to provide essentially different revelation in addition to Christ. Christ is the fullest disclosure of God's purpose and plan. He is the climax. And so the role of the Spirit is to serve that truth. The role of the Spirit is to highlight and explain and point to and unpack the revelation of Christ in all its truth and fullness. You see? D.A. Carson says this, we are to understand that Jesus is the nodal point of revelation, God's culminating self-disclosure, God's final self-expression, God's word. All antecedent revelation has been pointed toward him and reaches its climax in him. That does not mean he himself provides all the details his followers will need. It does mean that extra bits the Holy Spirit provides after he is sent by Christ Jesus, consequent upon Jesus' death and exaltation, are nothing more than the filling out of the revelation notably presented in Jesus himself. So the Spirit's ministry is centered on the full disclosure of Christ, the truth, and all the truth about Christ. And if you understand that principle rightly, implications start to burst out everywhere. And the implication I want to highlight here is the sufficiency of Scripture. You see, Scripture... God's revelation is always sufficient for the stage of redemptive history in which it was given. So Adam did not have much, right? But he had enough. He had all that he needed. Abraham was given more than Adam had. But it was not as much as Moses gave. It was enough for Abraham. But then 
Next stage in redemptive history, Moses, God reveals a bit more, and so on. And so at each stage of redemptive history, more revelation is given. Revelation is always given at these turning points in redemptive history. And it's given because more revelation is needed in order to live rightly in this world, at this stage in God's unfolding plan. And Christ's coming, Christ's cross and resurrection are the climactic events, the final events in redemptive history. Everything has been building up to him and the completion of his work accomplished through him. Now that Christ has come and has accomplished all his work, the fullness of God's plan and purposes and glory have been made known. We don't have time to look there, but you can listen to what Paul says in Ephesians chapter 3. The same thing, the eternal purposes of God, kept a secret as a mystery, have now been fully disclosed to the church in Christ. And the role of the Holy Spirit is to ensure that this climactic revelation of God in Christ is known and preserved. And the fundamental way he did that was by guiding the apostles to remember to rightly interpret, to preserve the teaching about Christ and his work for the church. And in our passage, Jesus tells his disciples that the Spirit will guide you in all truth. That's all the truth about me. That is to say, there has been provided through the Holy Spirit, through the apostles, the fullness of God's revelation in Christ. There is nothing lacking. There's no truth remaining that the Spirit did not lead them into and through them communicate to the church. We shouldn't think we're disadvantaged because we didn't live when Christ was on earth. We have something just as good, Jesus says. That is how Christ will supply his disciples with all they need and enable them to bear it. The Spirit will guide them in all, complete, lacking nothing. Truth, the climactic truth of Christ and the revelation of God in him. Now that means two things for us. Let me give you two implications from that. Number one, to desire... Additional revelation alongside of sacred scripture is an attack on the supremacy of Christ. It is to say that the climax of God's revelation in Christ was not enough. It reveals that we've misunderstood the purpose of scripture, which is primarily to disclose God and his purposes to us. And only then, within that context, does the scripture tell us how to live. In other words, what we have now is the totality of God's saving purpose and plans and self-disclosure, which have been realized in Christ. And to want more is nothing less than a belittling of Christ. I want something more than that. I want him to be something more than he's been presented to be. But it's even worse than that. Number two, to desire additional revelation alongside Scripture is an attack on the work of the Holy Spirit. 
That's to say the Spirit failed in his ministry to the apostles. Whereas Jesus promised that the Spirit would guide them in all truth, by claiming we need additional revelation alongside Scripture, or even when we elevate other things to the same level as Scripture, as though they were equally necessary, or as though they are equally beneficial as Scripture, it is to claim that the Spirit failed in His ministry. When we feed on books or think we need books that tell us that Jesus is calling to us, placing it on the same level of benefit and need and authority as Scripture. We're belittling Christ and we're belittling the Holy Spirit. We don't need any revelation beyond Christ and we don't need any revelation beyond what the Spirit has given to us. So that really is the foundation of the doctrine of the sufficiency of Scripture. That's why this doctrine is so significant. That's why we reject subsequent claims to further revelation, like Mormonism and all these other occults. That's why we also reject the continuation of revelatory gifts in the church age. Because not to do so would belittle Christ in his particular work. And the climax of revelation in him. And it would belittle the Holy Spirit who is supposed to guide the apostles into all truth for the church. D.A. Carson again writes, In any case, it is impossible to think of such continuing ministry of the Spirit leading men and women to stances outside or in addition to the enriching and explanatory ministry he exercised amongst the first witnesses, which is crystallized in the book of John. The point we're making here is not that the gift of the Spirit does not apply to us today. It absolutely does. It just means that we cannot understand that ministry rightly until we have understood how it applied uniquely to the apostles. We experience the guiding work of the Holy Spirit as well, but it's always experienced in relationship to the scriptures, the authorized apostolic writings. So that's the first ingredient in the Spirit's ministry. He centered on Christ. Look back at verse 13. Jesus tells us something else. Why will the Spirit be so centered on Christ? Jesus says that it's because the Spirit is in submission to Christ. Verse 13 He'll guide you in all truth, for he will not speak on his own authority or literally from himself. But whatever he hears, he will speak. During Jesus' earthly ministry, he never spoke from himself. He was always in complete submission to the Father, only speaking what the Father gave him. And Jesus says the same is true of the Spirit. He's not come to provide independent revelation from Christ, but to only speak and to speak all of Christ's words to us. And that's significant to support what we belabored above. Um, the Spirit would be mediating the entirety of Christ's self-revelation. But it's also important because it highlights the deity of the Holy Spirit and the nature of the Trinity. Just as Christ 
His deity was highlighted by the fact that the father exhaustively did all of his work through Christ and exclusively did all of his work through Christ. So also it highlights the deity of the spirit because Christ exhaustively and exclusively does all of this work through the spirit. And he could only do that if the spirit is distinct from him and yet just as fully God as him. So we're getting a full-blown doctrine of the Trinity here as, as well. The Spirit, due to his very nature as the third person of the Trinity, cannot do anything other than being in perfect and complete submission to Christ. And that guarantees his, his work. There's more. Jesus gives us the final characteristic. It's centered on Christ. It's in submission to Christ, and it's to apply Christ. Look what he says. Whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will declare to you the things that are to come. Now you might be wondering, where do you get apply Christ from that? It sounds like the book of Revelation, right? He's going to tell us the things that are going to to come. Well, I think... Revelation is certainly included in this. The book of Revelation tells us about the final events of, of church history. But even the book of Revelation is not simply a book that tells us about future events to pique our curiosity a, a bit. The book of Revelation exists to instruct the church in how it is to live in this age. What it means for us that Christ is reigning now as the crucified and risen Messiah and how that should change the way we live our lives in this world. And that's what Jesus means by he'll declare to you the coming things. In other words, the Spirit's ministry of declaring the truth of Christ will be in order to fill out all the implications of who Christ is and what he accomplished and what it means for the church. It not only includes the return of Christ, it obviously includes that, it includes the entire church age leading up to the final consummation. That's what he means. He'll declare to you the things that are to come. The Spirit will enable the apostles and subsequent generations to rightly apply the truth of Christ to their unique circumstances in this life. And all the New Testament epistles are prime examples of that point. The Spirit assists us, not by providing new revelation, but by helping us to work out the truth of Christ that we learned practically, actively, into those specific places in, in our lives. So that's the truth-declaring ministry of the Holy Spirit that Christ promises to his church. He's not going to leave the church behind without giving it what it, what it needs to know Christ and live faithfully in this age. While the disciples are unable to bear this teaching before the cross, once the Spirit comes, they'll be enabled and provided with the entirety of the climactic revelation of God in Christ. And they've recorded that for you in Scripture. If that were not enough, Jesus goes on in verses 14 and 15 now to declare to us the second ministry of the Holy Spirit. And is the Christ glorifying ministry of the Holy Spirit. Jesus tells us first that the ultimate aim of the Spirit is the glory of Christ. Look at verse 14. 
Jesus says, he will glorify me. The main thing the Spirit is about in this age is to bring glory to Jesus. The ultimate aim of Christ's ministry was what? It was to bring glory to the Father by accomplishing all the Father's work. And in the same way, the main thing of the Spirit's ministry is to bring glory to Christ. It's not just the main thing on a list of other things that he does. It means it's the main thing just as DNA is the main thing in all living organisms. It's what characterizes, undergirds, defines everything the Holy Spirit does in this age. That's his aim. He never does anything that's not unto this aim. And that right there discredits so much that goes on in charismatic circles in which miraculous gifts and experiences are made much of as ends in themselves with no focus on the glory of Christ or his person and his work. The primary evidence of the Spirit's work and presence in your life and in our church is the magnification of Christ through Scripture and in the transformation of your lives into lives of Christ-like love. That's evidence of the Spirit's work. His ultimate aim is the glory of Christ. But how will he do that? How will he go about glorifying Christ? Well, Jesus tells us in the remaining two verses, the fundamental method of the Spirit is mediating Christ. Verse 14, he will glorify me for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. All that the Father has is mine. Therefore, I said that he will take what is mine and declare it to you. He glorifies Christ by perfectly mediating Christ to man. It's very similar to what we learned back in verse 13, but just see how we get the entire Trinity here. That This unbreakable chain of revelation in this verse. What's so amazing is that you and I, as disciples, have been brought into the eternal, exhaustive plan and purpose of the triune God. So Jesus says here, all the Father has, he's given to the Son to accomplish and to reveal. And all that the Son has, he has given to the Spirit, for the Spirit to apply and to reveal. And all that the Spirit has, he has given to disciples, to you, through the apostles. The glorious mystery here is that the that disciples, you and I, are brought into the possession of the entirety of the triune God's eternal plan of revelation and redemption. Which centers on the exaltation of Christ on the cross. That's astonishing. The Spirit glorifies Christ by declaring to us, the church, the fullness of the revelation of God in Christ. And that happens every week when we open up the Scriptures. It happens every time in the morning you open up your Bible and start to read God's Word. You want the Spirit to be at work in your life? Give yourself to beholding the glory of Christ in the Word. And in the gospel. Isn't this what Paul said? 
2 Corinthians 3.18 And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord of Christ, are being transformed now in this life into that same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. How he's at work in your life through displaying the glory of Christ in Scripture. And as you behold that, you're transformed into his same image. So let me close here with just a couple implications summarizing what, what we've said. And then we may have a minute or two for some questions. Number one, know what the Bible is, especially the New Testament. It is first and foremost a disclosure of God and of God's unfolding plan of redemption. And we have the climax of that revelation given to us. The full disclosure of the triune God's plan and purpose from eternity. It's amazing. Know what you have in your lap. Number two, rest in the sufficiency of Scripture. The Spirit has ensured that we have everything we need to know the fullness of Christ and His teaching and His glory and God's plan through Him. Don't desire something else. Don't wish you were back then. You've been given everything you need. All of it. You don't need anything more. Don't wish you had more. When we do, we're saying that I need something more than Christ or something more than the Spirit has given. Number three, give yourself to knowing and applying this book. The apostles did that for us. They told us the things that are coming. Life in the church age all the way up to the consummation and the way the Spirit works in your life now is by illuminating. Bringing those things to light piercing, convicting, granting faith, granting growth and maturity as you work that word skillfully out into your life. Where would we be without the Holy Spirit? And that's why Christ gave him to us. That's why he ends his time on earth with his disciples instructing them about the Holy Spirit. So any questions, comments before we wrap this up? Yeah. It's good. But it's just cool the, the spirit is completely that work for them and mm-hmm. has them and now we have the, the written work. Amen. 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 That's a sweet connection, Zach. And the point there is how much he loves you. It's an evidence of his love. He's called you friends and revealed all of that. Anything else before we wrap up? If you have any questions, comments afterwards, I'm, I'm here. would love to uh, answer your questions. We have these outlines from last week if you would like one of those as well. So let me pray and uh, let you guys go. Father, thank you. We confess our sin of neglect, subtly believing that we need more. 
belittling Christ and the Spirit in our hearts. Thank you for your word of reminder. Thank you for your love and bringing us into your eternal plan in Christ. Oh, that we would know him. And that by knowing him, we would be made more, more like him. Father, I have so far to go. But I thank you have given us all we need. We love you, Lord. Prepare our hearts now for the service to come. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.